Welcome back in. It is the Bill Michaels Show. Ben Kenny, Grant Bills in for Bill today. Welcome to the rest of the network. Joining us in the 11 o'clock hour on a beautiful, beautiful Monday in the state of Wisconsin. We are really, we're, we're sneaking up on, what's the day called when it's the longest day of the year? The summer's... Solstice. Solstice, yes. That's the word I was looking for. We're sneaking up on it, which is a little bit depressing, I think, because then that means the days only get shorter. Yeah. But great weekend out. Uh, the weather was unbelievable. I got on the golf course for a bit. It was a, one of those situations, Grant, where for the front nine, I was I was a single out there. I was playing with a bunch of other guys. There was no rhythm, really. I struggled a little bit to, to gain a rhythm, given the... Uh, how the rest of the group was playing. And I don't mean that as a slight, like I was a single playing golf. It's what you expect, mm -hmm. but the back nine, it was only me. And then I shot the lights out, but uh, TPC Madison looked absolutely beautiful. The reference to that grant is TPC is a tour preferred course. That's what oh. they call all the courses around the country. So everyone was joking. They played the U S open just now at Brookline, the country club. And many were calling it TPC Brookline to get the golf hardos up in up in a knot, which is really I, not that hard to do. I will say um, you were criticizing, rightfully so, my my golf lingo, the way I talked about the game a couple of minutes ago. Just listening to you describe your outing. I mean, it's clear that you play golf and I don't. I mean, your language, the way you speak about the game, you paint a picture. You are leagues ahead of me. And by no means am I good, but we're getting there. The game's rounding into form. We have our Zone Madison golf outing in August. My goal is by then to be good again. Is it a Saturday? I think it's a Friday. What the hell? I know. What if I, I wanted to come? I, that, I would make everyone else feel great about their golf game. You could take that Friday off. Take a trip down, stay for the weekend. Uh, I'm not made of vacation days. You know, <laughs> you know Bill, Bill Michaels, rightfully so, has achieved a place in his... Uh, hallowed broadcasting career where if there's nothing going on, Bill's like, I'm going to take a day or I'm going to go to, you know, this cabin or this event, you know, I am not at that place yet. That's what I'm striving for. Yeah, I got you. But yeah, great, great weekend. I was out on the golf course, watched a lot of golf. U S open was awesome. We're going to get into it a little more later. Uh, maybe the comps we could have for some of these athletes and what they're able to do because for the casual watcher of sports, I'm sure many turned that on and had not really understood the context of who these guys were at the top or why they're there and why they are always there at the end of majors. But it's really cool stuff. There was a story I was going to talk about with Matt Fitzpatrick, the winner. Uh, he is a absolute legend for this. And we're going to talk about that coming up next after this. But I mentioned it entering the break. Uh, so the Brewers sweep the Reds over the weekend Back on track, I think they really have turned a corner from the losing streak. Am I going to return to crown them as the NL Central Kings and a lock to go make the playoffs? No, I'm not there yet. They have to get healthy. They have to be more consistent. It's really the pitching staff. We need to see those guys return and pitch effectively. But the sweep against the Reds was big. Now they get a big week coming up. Cardinals for four games, Blue Jays for three. I think a four and three week would be a huge win. Just keep momentum going. But there was something that I noticed in really uh, about two weeks ago now that Craig Council did. 
So all throughout last year, Christian Yelich, he is the most polarizing figure on the team because when it goes well, everyone rushes to Twitter and says he's back. When it's bad, everybody wants I they want to bench him. They want to get him mostly, off the team. By the way, Yelich is mostly the guy who rushes to Twitter to say that he's back when he yes, has a good game. Which he leads the charge. Thank goodness he hasn't tweeted since that second video. But the stats were alarming. Each of the two times he had gone off, he had that slam against the Pirates and then the cycle against the Reds. Twitter video was posted immediately after each time, and then he proceeded to go two for his next 20, both times, literally the same stats. You were on top of that, by the way. I was citing your Twitter account on the show. I was like, Ben Kenny, his research department got on this and had pre and post video splits. So just know it was a big talking point on my show. I appreciate that. Well, that's what we call analytics. Those are the analytics. Uh, all these analytic nerds is what I hear all the time. Those are the analytics we go for. But so throughout last year, like Yelich by no means was close to his 2018 self. We all know that he was not productive in the three spot in the lineup and the lineup really struggled as a result. You had guys that were hitting around him that because Yelich did so little in the middle of the lineup, the rest of the guys weren't able to see as many good pitches. They weren't set up in advantageous situations to produce. And I had called last year. I said, going into the playoffs, Craig Council needs to move Christian Yelich to leadoff. And it's a move that you might shake your head at because if he's struggling, why not move him down? I also would have been in favor with moving him down. But the one thing he has been able to do a little bit, despite the lack of power and yet lack of consistency, is he's getting on base. He His on-base percentage through last year and now with this year, it's close to on par with what it was through his early years in Miami. Now, these are not his, uh, you know, all-star game, all-star year uh, years in Miami. But before that, when he was he was hitting 280, but his on base was up in the in the three six thirty six percent. That's what it was last year. So if you put him at leadoff, he's a guy that still has a little bit of speed. He's able to be a, a tone setter for the lineup. Are we going to see doubles and home runs from that spot? Probably not, because that's not the hitter he is right now. But he had been able to get on base. Craig Council obviously did not make that move last year. The team lost in the playoffs, and then this year we're seeing kind of the same signs through I, I forget how many games but you know he was hitting 220 his on base was still in the low threes not productive by any means but his one actual skill you could have pointed to was that he was getting on base so on June 8th against the Phillies Craig Council moves Christian Yelich to lead off now the Brewers lost that game 10 to nothing it was in the middle of the skid nothing was going right the Phillies offense went nuts but since that point, since June 8th, Christian Yelich has gotten a hit in all but two games, two of them actually somehow against the Reds this past weekend. But his, oh, what the heck? his uh, average since the move, since June 8th, he's hitting 297 with an on-base up to 352, scored eight runs, he's hit two homers, two RBI, no extra base hits. But I want to give Craig Council a lot of credit here because the lineup with Christian Yelich at leadoff is drastically different than it was with him at three. Part of this is Colton Wong was not really the guy at leadoff. He wasn't giving you the production you needed. Really inconsistent to start the year. But now with Yelich there, he's, I, I mean, he's hitting slap singles, which by no means are needed for this team. But when you look at any way to salvage 
what Christian Yelich is and what he can do. He's not living up to the contract, right? He's he's not going to have an MVP season. I feel confident saying that. But him at leadoff is a different look for this lineup that has helped in massive ways, and I want to give Council credit for it. It's a move that maybe took some guts to make, given his struggles, but it's paid off massively. First of all, you did an outstanding job lining this up. Well done. Well done. Um, I have a question and then an analogy that I think I might use on my show tonight. The question is, what would moving him down in the lineup accomplish? Yeah, he's not damaging you in the three spot, but does that help Yelich? Does that make Yelich a better player moving him down? I, I don't know what difference that would have made. That's why I think it makes sense to move him to lead off. Well, moving him down, I don't think would have helped him. I just yeah. think it would have gotten his dead bat out of the three spot, which was necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's why I think moving him up makes sense because Yelich had been this player where he would slap singles and he's good on base, steals bags. He's a really good base runner and he would take his walks. Moving him to the leadoff spot didn't make him a different player. It just took what he was already doing and put it in a spot where it was better utilized. This, this is the analogy I'm thinking of making a to-do list. When you come into work, do you ever do this, Ben? No, but I do it every night. I'm a big, I'm a big no tap guy. All of my, all of Bill show stuff, everything organizing my life are in my notes app on my computer. And often before I go to sleep, I think about what I have to do at work and after work and just write it. Well, you're a better man than me. I sometimes come in in the morning and on my little legal pad I have here, I write down like the six things I want to get done. But almost always, there's six or seven things that I was going to do anyways. I'm not challenging myself. I'm just writing the things down that I'm already going to do so I can check that box. And I feel better about myself, even though I didn't do anything extra. I feel like that's the same thing at work with Yelich going to the leadoff spot. Because he's basically the same player. He's a little bit better. He's had a great stretch, but he's the same player. The problem is, or the good thing is, now all of those skills are, are in a better spot. They're going to use. Right. Like if I come in and I do the bare minimum eh, not a great day, but if I make a to do list with the bare minimum and I get to check all the boxes, then it, it feels different. It feels like I've accomplished something. And I think that's what's at work with Yelich. He's the same player. He's just in a spot where that same player is better utilized. Does that make sense? It does. I would even maybe go a step further and say it has made him a better player. Because when he was at the three yeah. spot, and maybe this is just his own pressure he puts on himself. And I don't want to say this as fact because I think it's it's impossible to prove, obviously. But I think he has been freed up at the plate by moving to leadoff. Because at the three spot, what he needed to do for the team is hit for power, get extra base hits, drive in runs. And even though, I mean, Adamas had been up and down and, and not really healthy and Wong hadn't been great, there were so many times he wasn't even coming up with guys on base. But I think now at leadoff... Him knowing that he really his main objective should be to get on base, I think it's freed him up and actually made him perform better. Not to mention, he probably sees better pitches, right? So yeah. he sees better pitches. Now that his dead bat is not at the three spot, you have Adamas who is hitting second. He'll see better pitches at two because they can't just pitch around him to get to Yelich. It frees everybody up. But yeah, to that, I, I do think it is just his skills better utilized, but I think it has improved his skills. Okay, let me put it this way. I take back what I said about him not being a better player. He's gotten better, and the numbers that you laid out since, what, June 8th? Was that the date where he was moved? Yes, yeah, so June 8th, he was hitting 224 with a 315 on base, and that was after a long streak of not good. 
And then right now, sitting today, two weeks later, he's hitting 240 with an on-base in the 320s. So he's been a better player. He hasn't been a different player. It's not like he started hitting home runs again and a bunch of extra base hits. But but I think taking the skill set that was there already, putting in a spot where it's better utilized, like you said, it freed him up and it probably gave him some confidence. It probably gave him a new look on things where he's gotten better. Yes, he's not going to hit 40 bombs. Hopefully hits a few more. I mean, he had a nice opposite field shot. Was that Friday against the Reds or Saturday? I don't know. But I think just that success that he's had since the move, it's like you said, it's freed him up and it's got him feeling better. And that's why his numbers have improved. And this is also a statement about how poor the Brewers offense has been. And it's a broken record. Like what? It's it's the middle of June. Let's complain about the Brewers offense and where they stand. I mean, Take away Omar Narvaez, who is not an everyday player. Obviously, him and Caratini split it. But I guess if you combine the two, then they would pass Yelich in this regard. But take away the catching spot and take away Keston Hira, who obviously has not been an everyday player. Christian Yelich is the best on-base percentage on the team. And yeah, Adamas has been pretty atrocious in that regard. And Telez has been okay. All the other guys have been really up and down. McCutcheon is disappointed, I would say, given what you expected from him. But yeah, he he does still have the best on base percentage on the team. So I going forward, I don't know how to project. Like, what do you think going forward? Do you think maybe if we see these incremental gains in contact and hard hit percentage and hitting, actually getting hits, getting on base, do you think that could snowball into more power? I from Yelich specifically? Yeah. No, yeah, just from him. From being at leadoff, being freed up, and seeing, I guess you mentioned a three-point shooter, seeing the ball go through, him him seeing the ball drop in the outfield. I think it will improve. I don't know how much it will improve. You know what I mean? But if you can get us a, you get a double or an extra home run once a week, that's still magnitudes better than what you've gotten. Like, I think it was a week or two ago, I pointed out with Yelich, if you could just get one home run or a double every week, that's like a game difference because you know how these Brewer games go. For the most part, they're all on a razor's edge. They're they're losing by one run or they're barely holding on to a lead. If you just mix one big hit from Yelich in a week, that makes a world of difference for the team. So I, I think, yeah, an incremental improvement, but an incremental improvement would be huge for this team. That's all they really need. The lack of doubles is troubling. Yeah, it stinks. That really sucks. He has seven home runs this year. He has nine doubles. It's bizarre. Uh even last year, he went on that little hot stretch where everyone proclaimed him back. I think I was one of those people just for the sake of being an optimist. But yeah. even last year, he was able to, I mean, 19 doubles in uh, pretty much. I, I think we're close to halfway through the season, if, if I'm not a crazy person. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. The, the power thing, I don't really think it'll help his power. I just think it will help him really free his mind up. I, it sounds crazy, but... There was a good piece on MLB Central done earlier this year. Mark DeRosa, who's tremendous, former MLBer, has been an analyst on that show for some years. I used to watch it every day when I was home during the summer. It's an awesome, if you love baseball, it's an awesome way. Like, they're funny, they're cool. I, awesome way to learn more about it. Can I, can I say really quickly, MLB Network feels like what SportsCenter used to feel like. Just rapid fire, take you through the games, exciting, entertaining. I love it. Well, yeah, because they actually show the games. Uh, highlights, yes. Which, so not to cut you off, but I just wanted to throw that in there. No, that is a bigger conversation. I understand that we all can now look at highlights on our phones, 
but I still want to wake up and watch SportsCenter and see the, the dashboard on the left and see the highlights from every single game that happened with those normally cool people talking over it. Like, yeah. that's so awesome. But that's gone away. But, yeah, in, in terms of the power, I don't think it really rises that much. I just think him, he's been freed mentally by this move and, and counsel moving him. I think, it, like, when we get down the stretch of the year and the lineup gets healthy, maybe they make a move. But that lineup looks a lot different and a lot scarier, I'll add, with Yelich at leadoff playing like this, which still isn't amazing by any means, but playing okay. And then the rest of the guys behind him with Adamas and Telez and Renfro and maybe Hira gives you something. Hopefully Luis Arias comes back and, and it plays better. He's been struggling recently. Maybe McCutcheon gives you something. Then you throw in Peterson and Tyrone Taylor. The lineup looks a lot scarier than it did when Colton Wong was at leadoff and Yelich was at three. Because honestly, yeah. I was losing hope at that point. Like if Yelich was going to stay at three all year, I do not feel as good about the team than I do right now. No doubt. No. And at some point this year, you know, their three and four spot could really stink. Right now it's it's easier because the Dumps and Renfro are hitting. We've learned with the Brewers offense, it can go hot and cold so quickly. You know, if Adamas and Renfro are struggling, all of a sudden Yelich is getting on with walks and singles. It doesn't really matter as much. I, I will say, I think it was Saturday. If I pull up the scoring plays here, I probably tweeted about it. Yep, Yelich doubled in the first, or uh, Telez doubled in the first. Yelich scored. Adamas homered in the third. Yelich scored. This Brewers team is capable of getting big hits. I mean, they have 89 home runs. It's third in baseball. But oftentimes during that losing streak, no one was on base. So you'd have these massive home runs and there'd be no one on base. So it'd be mostly a waste. So if Yelich can be in the mix and make those big hits more valuable when the big hits come, it makes a world of difference. Maybe this is me trying to make sense of something that's more complicated. But the offense really isn't the problem right now. And it sounds nuts to say when it's the Brewers and we know for the last couple of years when they have had issues, it has been because they cannot hit and they cannot hit in big games and they can't finally get those big knocks to get them over the yeah. hump. But the problem has been the pitching and obviously health is a big part. There's been no Peralta, no Woodruff, but for that stretch of losing, they lost seven, nothing to San Diego. Then you had that weird game that went into extras Hater blows the save. The pitching aside from that was pretty good. But then they lose 10 nothing against Philly, 8 to 3 against Philly, 11 to 5 against Washington, 8 to 6 against Washington. Then you move forward, uh, the two losses to the Mets were 4 and 5 runs respectively. You look at the last couple of weeks and even when they were on the losing streak, and then I'll include this Red series, they scored 6, 7 and 5 respectively against the Reds. Uh 4, 10 and that one big dud, 0 against the Mets. But then before that, four against Washington, and then six, and then five. Philly, uh, they scored three, that one blowout, uh, and then two. Like the, the offense isn't as horrendous as many are going to make it out to be. They're, we just hit, and I know this because I have most of the Brewers staff on my fantasy team. Yeah, They just hit a two-week stretch where even Eric Lauer started struggling. Well, Eric Lauer, in his last five starts, has an ERA of 5.81. Right, he was two point one six. He was his first so seven good. Starts of the season. Yeah, he needs to get back to that, um, because he's he's one guy really with Peralta and Woodruff out. It's him and Burns who have put away stuff. Jason Alexander pitches to contact. A Adrian Hauser definitely pitches to contact, but their defense has taken a hit this year. So as you saw with Hauser in the first inning against the Mets, 
you know, he can get a couple ground balls or, or soft batted balls. And if the defense can't handle them, it, it can get out of hand really quick. Lauer's a guy who can actually strike guys out. So he's a guy who can push through all the noise. If the offense isn't playing well, if the defense isn't playing well, Lauer should still be able to control a game. He hasn't been that guy the last couple of weeks. So he needs to get back to that. Yeah. And they need Woodruff back as well. We actually got some good yeah. news and we'll mention that when we come back here, we'll give a little update as to where the pitching staff stands injury wise, where Woodruff stands. There was also a story I mentioned around 11 o'clock, Matt Fitzpatrick, the U S open champion, an awesome story. And one that brings up many what ifs or would you haves looking at this and what he was able to accomplish. We're going to hit that next. It is Ben Kenny and Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket. This is the Bill Michaels show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back in. It is the Bill Michaels show. Ben Kenny, Grant Bills in for Bill today. Again, he will be back tomorrow. 877-867-1670 is how you chime in. We're talking Brewers. Where do you stand right now? Did this weekend sweep of the Reds make you feel any better about the team's chances? Speaking of feeling better, Grant, Brandon Woodruff, his presence in the rotation is obviously necessary for the Brewers to succeed. Jason Alexander has filled in admirably for what you expected of him, but I don't see that success continuing. His whip is 1.7. Like that is not sustainable. There are things we mentioned the eye test. I mentioned this earlier. There are times when you look at a pitcher like Eric Lauer earlier this year, he was striking everybody out and you can look at it and say, Oh, that is sustainable. Like he will, even though we'll hit a rough patch, you know that he has the stuff to still be good. Jason Alexander strikes out three hitters through nine innings and has a whip of 1.7. That is what we call unsustainable. Yeah. Eric Lauer had some starts. Who are they playing? Uh, I think it was the Cubs where he had a really poor start for by his standards. And he was in the fourth inning. Maybe you remember this. This is really obscure. So if, if you don't remember this, this is going to be a moot point but he was battling through the start and he had like a 10 pitch battle with Patrick wisdom and he put him away with a strikeout at the very end. And, and that's a great example of how I think Eric Lauer, even through this rough patch has done a pretty good job in most instances battling through it. I want to see him get back to where it looks easy and where he's cruising through innings and he's striking out guys consistently. But even when he's had a poor start with the exception of a game or two, it hasn't been a nightmare. It hasn't been really bad. Um, which I guess is a positive. That's the sign of a of an upper tier, really good starting pitcher. Is even on a day where they don't have their best stuff, they can still battle through four or five innings. And for the most part, Lauer's been able to give that to the Brewers. But if they want to start playing at a higher level, they're going to need a little bit more from him. I do remember that because as I he's on my awesome fantasy moment. team. I pretty much I had most of the Brewers rotation. I had Freddie Peralta. I'll talk about him in a minute. But I I took that strategy of you know what like. One, it's going to be fun to watch them all year. Two, they're all studs. Like, I have Burns mm-hmm. at the top. He was my first-round pick. But because I have them, I will often remember those very minor moments and starts. Because, I'm, I, I mean, I'm watching the game or I'm listening to it and tracking it, and those things stand out. But that's also how I digest baseball. It's just random stuff that I remember. But speaking of uh, feeling better, 
moving forward. Brandon Woodruff. Now, he hurt his ankle, and we thought that it was going to be somewhat of a minor absence, right? Like maybe one start, two starts. Yeah. Well, it turns out he has Raynaud syndrome, which put simply is when your fingers get tingly and you don't have much feeling. Now, for a pitcher, that is a big problem because when you're trying to grip a curveball or throw something off speed, it's all about the feeling in your fingers, and it's all about the, the whip, I guess, you could get on them as you release the ball. So on Saturday, Woodruff pitched a rehab start at AAA Nashville. He threw 51 pitches, 37 of them for strikes, 2.2 innings. But the best part about it was seven of eight batters he retired were strikeouts. He said he is starting to feel it. It's starting to get better. There was talk about him uh, doing a rehab start in high A Wisconsin. I forget exactly where. You might be able to, to tell me what team that would be for. Oh, that would be the timber rattlers probably likely probably. Yeah. So I uh, probably one more start before returning to the rotation. The thought is that maybe June 29th, end of June when they go to Tampa Bay. So that's, I, I mean, that's pretty much another week, give or take two more starts. That's great news. Uh, they've been able to put a little bit of duct tape on the massive uh, break in the dam with Jason Alexander recently but getting Woodruff back is necessary because this pitching has to, it, it has to get back to top five in baseball. If this team is going to make a run, then you talk about Peralta. I mean, the only news that's out there is that he's resumed throwing last week that came out from Kurt hog of the journal Sentinel. But yeah. I mean, he's on the 60 day IL he's ineligible to return until at least late July. So, I mean, mid August, early August might be the best case scenario. I can't really expect much from him at this point. Given, is on the shelf. I, I, he's not in our headspace of how we think about this team for the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Woodruff is the one where once he comes back, like everyone mentions, oh, should the Brewers make a move? And I, I mean, it's a great radio topic because yeah. it's not one that can just be answered. It's one that's ongoing. Things change every night. After this weekend, when I look at the landscape of the team, I still say no until I get Woodruff back and know exactly what the team looks like and where it stands, say, going into the all-star break. And I doubt they would make a move earlier than that. Like the Adamas thing was kind of lightning in a bottle last year. But yeah, until the team is healthy and I know exactly what they need, I don't want to jump out and go get a bat or go get an arm. But honestly, where I stand, I might want an arm first. The Brewers have such a glut of starting pitchers or, or guys who can start, right? So Jason Alexander, Aaron Ashby, Ethan Small is an option depending on who's available. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if they bring Brandon Woodruff back and they use him in a middle relief role temporarily. Ooh. You know what I mean? Use him as a piggyback guy. Little, little, little technical glitch with, with the connection with Grant uh, chiming in here. Uh, you back? There it is. Okay, so did you look at me? You turned to look at the webcam. Did you turn and look because I was cutting out or because I said something that you hated or loved that much? No, no, just to to pay very oh. close attention. The last thing we heard was the Woodruff middle relief thing, which I think well, I love. Okay, I, I thought you were turning to look at me to, to be like, what the hell? No, they have so many guys. I, I think maybe it would be a mistake to bring him back and expect him to be six or seven innings of dominating baseball right away. You have so many guys, and this is Council's thing. He's the manager where you could bring a, bring Woodruff back 
and work him in in some piggyback starter or start Woodruff and use Hauser on the back end because Hauser's been poor. They have so many guys. Why not try to work him in slowly? They have no one to bridge the front end starter to the back end of the bullpen. Just work him into the mix like that. You know what I mean? I like it. Yeah, I like more, say, Woodruff starting a game going four innings, Hauser coming in afterwards as a strategy there. Or Ashby. I mean, you know damn well it's going to Woodruff second start back. He'll go four innings, give up no hits. He will be pitching well, but the pitch count will be high because a a couple strikeouts, a couple walks because the command won't totally be there. Council will pull him in the fifth because he's a guy coming off injury where he literally could not feel his fingers. And then mass hysteria. Oh, I already have a headache. He had a no hitter through four innings. What is council doing this generation? Oh, good this stuff. Generation back in my day, they throw 120 pitches. I mean, he let Burns go earlier this year to the tune of was it like 115 pitches or something. When it's needed, they're not afraid to ask a pitcher for it. They just don't need it very often. I think he threw that that amount of pitches in the Philadelphia start, but that wasn't because he so. was going deep. It was because he was battling his ass through many base runners, a lot of walks, a lot of long counts, but then made the necessary pitches, gave up like one run through five. But I think that That was was, the start. That was one of my least favorite baseball games I've ever watched. That was the Thursday afternoon game, right? Uh, Yes. That might have been the hater blown save game. I thought that... uh, I thought that was the end of the season. Either way, the first two innings took like an hour and a half and no one was scoring. It was 1-1 and the game was crawling. And it cut into my show, so I was upset. And you were supposed to come on to talk about this and that. We ran out of time, and it was just a... Oh, you're right. It was Thursday. Jason Alexander started the hater-blown-save game, which is still... I I can't describe the feeling I felt when when that happened. That was... Yeah, was that just bizarre? It's kind of like... So when I'm watching golf, and I don't mean to get too deep into this, but there are moments in big big tournaments, big moments in that tournament where I get nervous watching them hit the ball or get ready to hit the ball because golf, there's, there's so much, there's so many dramatics going into every shot. But when hater was up there after gave up to first, I I had never felt the, like I I was in awe. I was shocked. I'm trying to think of another sport that would like, what's the comp for that? Scoring runs on Josh Hader and winning a game. Watching your team do that. What what is the similar thing in? Sports? Oh, I know what it is. It's I I mean I don't mean to bring this up, but it's when Corey Bohorquez has his punt blocked in the end zone. <laughs> Even though that was a little more understandable and expected because yeah. of how bad that unit had been, it's that same level of what in the world did I just watch? Speaking of Corey Bohorquez and special teams, we, you were talking earlier to circle back to something you said. You were talking about how the offense hasn't been the Brewers' problem. I don't want to be this guy because it's so early and and it might not matter by the end of the year, but the Brewers' defense has been shoddy. It hasn't been great. Not good. And that's something that you don't really focus on a ton until it starts to matter. And when it matters, it matters a lot. And you could say, well, Colton Wong's been missing, but he he had a stupid amount of errors in a very limited amount of time when he was healthy. And I get, again... Adamus had missed time and Urias was playing out of position and you're moving guys around. So hopefully just getting a consistent steady infield lineup makes a difference. But the Brewers defense has been rather poor, like statistically near the bottom of the league, not poor for them, but, but poor for the rest of baseball and relative to the rest of baseball. 
just something to watch because that gives me Packers special teams vibes. Like you want to ignore it and you can ignore it until you can't. And then it costs you games. That's interesting. They actually, I, I just pulled it up. They rank 10th out of 15th in the NL in fielding percentage. So that is bottom third of the NL. Fielding percentage is tougher, though, because a lot of it has to do with what the scorer ate for breakfast that morning and, and how he feels about the world that yeah. day. But, yeah, no, it's it's definitely been poor. The Colton Wan thing was probably the biggest because even though he had been out when he was there, you know, wasn't that good. 877-867-1670 if you want to chime in. Talk Brewers. I mentioned it last segment. We're going to do it next. A Matt Fitzpatrick story that I think everybody needs to hear and brings up a big would you have in the world of sports. That is coming up next. It is Ben Kenny Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. Ready? This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back in. It is the Bill Michaels show. I am Ben Kenny. He is Grant Bills in for Bill today. 877-867-1670. If you want to get a hold of the program, chime in. Is Christian Yelich at leadoff and no power? Is that a success for him? We'll take your calls on that. 877-867-1670. So Grant, U.S. Open this weekend. Impressive, impressive win for Matt Fitzpatrick. Talked about it earlier. He was, and I mean this in the best sense of the term, he was a little boy in terms of hitting the ball, his length, his physical yeah. being. He has transformed his body and his game and now absolutely destroys the golf ball. Uh, it is awesome that, I mean, he's probably the only dude from England to ever think about fixing his teeth. Uh, so he won the U.S. Open. He has braces. He wears Skechers. He putts with the flag stick in. Like, it's awesome. I love he's he, he's such a fun dude to root for. I mean, the biggest story with that is all of the live sellouts, all of the frauds that talk about growing the game and competition, the idiots that went over to the and thought that they weren't going to ruin golf. They all sucked this weekend. And that was awesome. Because to play that tour, you don't have to actually be good. You just have to want to front for a murderous regime of the Saudi government. That said, top of the U.S. Open leaderboard, Fitzpatrick, great to root for. Will Zalatoris, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, all these guys are ones that have championed. They play golf because the love of the game, legacy, winning. And as fans, that's what you watch sports to see. I don't care. I would not watch Tom Brady throw a football in an exhibition match and be really into it. The whole allure of the great athletes in our world, like Giannis, is the love of the game, the want to go win. And as fans, you are you are behind him and you relate to him as they go through the struggle and maybe end up winning it all, like what the Bucks did last year. But this story from Fitzpatrick is awesome. Daniel Rappaport, he is a Golf Digest writer. Great follow on Twitter if you are a fan of the game. He tweeted out, this was on June 18th, so Saturday, at the end of the round Saturday, when Fitzpatrick was going to be in the final group on Sunday. He said, it's impossible to overstate how disciplined Matt Fitzpatrick is, but this might help. A few weeks ago, his friend had a bachelor party in Florida. Matt offered his house for them all to stay at and use as they please. Good guy move. 
but it was the week before the PGA championship. So we told them absolutely under no circumstances would he participate in any of their debauchery. He practiced all day, had dinner with them and stayed in his room while the boys raged in his house all night. And then he ended up in the PGA championship falling short, but he was in the mix. And then obviously you see uh, his hard work pay off on Sunday with the big win at the U S open that that's dedication right there. I don't know if I could have done that. If I was in his shoes, I couldn't have done it. No chance. When if you come to lacrosse and you stay with me and I have something going on, it wouldn't matter. I'd take my entire weekend. If I had a important job interview, big meeting. No, still I'm not hiding in my room. No way. I couldn't do it. I feel like when you offer your house for something like that, you're also offering yourself to participate in whatever yeah. will go on in your house. Can I can I also say that his house is probably a lot bigger than where I live, so going to his room was probably a little bit easier. Like there was probably <laughs> some degree of separation. Likely. Like we hey, we talk about John Rahm going on that rant last week, which was awesome about how the PGA is this and that and he doesn't do it for money. I love and at him. one point he said, if I got four hundred million dollars, my life wouldn't change. And I'm watching that like, okay, that's nice. That's that's really nice for you. Like I would imagine Fitzpatrick's got a similar situation. He probably has a house where he can separate himself. I do not. Now I'll say this about the live and it'll be hopefully the last thing I say about it today. We had talked early on in the whole process of, you know, would us uh, have gone? What would be your price to go over? I really separate. There are so many guys that went over that I have never heard of in my life. And they went for the paycheck to be set for their life. I cannot say anything bad about them. I understand that. But it's the idiots at the top of the game that are supposed to be faces of it, namely Phil, Bryson, Patrick Reed, one or two other names in there, but they're older. But those guys who said that they were going to go to grow the game or to help make the PGA Tour better, when in reality they're completely fracturing the golf world. And, I mean, they're, I, they are working as hard as they can to ruin the sport of golf for the fans, right? For the players, I don't know how much is going to change, but they're ruining it for the fans. But I'll say this about the live. Like, I I understand the guys that you had never heard of that went over and why they did it, but I also think they don't really have an effect on the whole uh, talking about the live. No one would have talked about it if it was some random dudes. It was the guys at the top. And the whole reason it's a story is because the guys at the top went. And I don't know. I've lost all respect for them. It was awesome to see Phil Mickelson hit the eject button on Thursday. <laughs> it was awesome to see the rest of the guys just completely struggle, right? Like at the end of Sunday, all of the dudes challenging for literally the United, like the United States tournament. This is our open. The guys that were doing it were the ones that are guys that are based on, they play for legacy. They play to win. It was awesome to see. It was a lot of fun yesterday. Um, Golf's but, in a good spot. I, I think the live as bummy as it is, and it took so, took some golfers, and it's not a great league, and it doesn't mean anything. I think maybe for the guys who stayed, which is the majority, and for fans, it forced us to look around and say, "This is why we actually love the PGA." Whereas previously, we might have thought those things. Like John Rahm's probably always felt this way about the PGA and golf, but he never had a reason to say it, or Rory never had a reason to stand up and be like, "Mr. Company Man." you know, talking about how he likes all his fellow golfers. And I don't know, it, it gave everyone a, a reason to be vocal. And and maybe that reminder in the long run is going to be a good thing, especially if the live is 
going to suck and we're not going to watch it and their golfers aren't going to do anything in majors. I'll say this. Uh, it they We are in a good place in terms of what just went on. I think the last two weeks with Rory winning in Canada and then this major mm-hmm. being great and the live guys sucking, I think that was good. But I can't say they're in a good place. I mean, there are going to yeah. be a lot more names that go over. The thing is... You think so? Competition... That's, maybe that's where, where I'm different with you. Oh, no doubt. Over the next week or two, there are going to be a lot more. A lot more okay. guys that go over. Competition is good in life and in business. Like, I, the whole Monopoly thing, I get. Monopolies are, are not good. But competition is good when you have two just competitors going at each other. The PGA yeah. Tour is challenging a rival tour that literally is paying multiple billion dollars for their players. Like I, this was a really good analogy. Steph Curry, you can understand why he makes whatever he makes a year, like 40 mil, Mm -hmm. because he brings so much value to the warriors and to basketball, like his, the entertainment value and everything he brings to them probably equates close to what he makes. Phil Mickelson does not bring hundreds of millions of dollars to that tour. True. And that's not even mentioning that it's a joke of a format and the rest of it is I, kind of a joke. Yeah, it's it, it's going to be a tough week for the golfing world, but we'll see. I'm trying to just revel in the weekend that was because it was epic. The course was great. The course brought some damn teeth on Saturday, beat the crap out of some of the golfers. And, yeah. then, and then Sunday, I mean, that's as good of a finish as you could predict. But I Saturday, love that element to the U.S. Open. Oh, and yeah. it's always been a reason why it's been one of them. I watched the Masters. I watched the U.S. Open. And then the rest in the past has always kind of been up in the air. I love the idea of the cor- the course. We're cheering for the course. Or the course is biting back. And, like, the course is a player. Um, that's fun. That's something I can follow along. And that's a narrative I can get into. Oh, Grayson Murray was playing early yesterday. He had made the cut. He broke three clubs in three holes. There was on, <laughs> on one green he got mad. He chucked his putter into the woods. The next hole, he he like sculled a wedge into the front bunker, snapped his wedge over his leg. Like that is the fight I love to see. Who was the golfer? Took a shot, a chip shot out of the bunker that was right next to the green, and he way overshot the hole. It was in like the final twenty five minutes of the Open yesterday, and he just threw his club down or he stabbed it into the sand. I can't remember who it was. I forget, but. I saw that all week and it's really cool to see because (laughs) golf is great when you see the guys be perfect because it's something that, you know, you can never attain, but then you see the guys just completely self-destruct and you know that I I could easily go do that because I do it all the time and do it right now. That's what's awesome. All right. 877-867-1670. We're going to step away, take a quick break. A lot more coming up. It's Ben Kenny and Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back in Bill Michaels show. Ben Kenny Grant Bills in for Bill. 877-867-1670. Twitter poll is up at Ben Z Kenny on Twitter. Obviously did the Brewers turn a corner with the weekend sweep of the Cincinnati Reds? 27.6% say yes. 72.4% say no. 
It was just the Reds. Grant, I mean, I, I sit still. I think it is a turn of a corner, but not necessarily straight to the promised land, not back to top peak end Milwaukee Brewers baseball. But I think they turn the corner out of the funk, and I think it's them and the Cardinals battling neck and neck for the next month or two for the NL Central. I think I've been prepping my show a little bit, like writing things down, like what I want to talk about and what I want to add to tonight. And I think what I'm going to say is they're comfortable. Like I, turning a corner, maybe. We'll see how the next couple go. I think they're back in a spot where they feel like they have their feet under them. Because I think when they lost eight in a row and they were struggling and nothing was going right, it's it's hard to get your bearings. You know what I mean? You need to have a couple of normal feeling series where everyone's back healthy and you beat up on some bad teams. And I think they're to the point now where they're feeling comfortable. And you see that in Adamus and Renfro. Um, I mean, if Jason Alexander can come in and succeed, the team is in a good space, headspace. And so I think because they're comfortable, now they're in a position to pick it up and turn a corner. I think that's what I'm going to say tonight on my show. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there are multiple, there are many corners you turn every day. You know, one corner leads you to the kitchen. One corner yes. leads you to work. One leads you to the hallway. This one leads them out of a horrible two-week stretch of baseball. And then there will be another. There's another much larger corner with a more sharp turn, if you will, that they'll have to turn before they challenge for the NL. I think that's a good way to put it. All right. We're going to step away here. Take a quick break. Coming up next, though, a couple fan favorites were released over the weekend. Packers, Brewers, we'll get into both. It's Ben Kenny Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. The Bill Michaels Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.